Good morning, family. It's good to be with you this morning. Thank you for joining us. My name is Eddie. I'm the lead pastor here. I hope that uh, you've been welcomed, that you felt encouraged. And my hope that is that as we continue, that you will experience uh, God's presence in a unique way wherever you are. Before we get into the word, I, I just wanted to encourage you guys and let you know of an, initi- an initiative that we are taking on. It's, we're calling it the, the Read Your Bible Every Day Initiative. Now, this is not something that was birthed out of our own thinking. You know, this has been something that, that we as a church body have, have been encouraged to do, to read our Bibles every single day. And so over the next few weeks, you're going to see on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, you're going to see encouragements for you to get into this word. And specifically, we'll link to two different Bible reading plans that you can take part in. One is the, the five by five by five, and I've talked about that in the, in the past, but it's a, it's a reading plan that allows you to read through the entire, bi- uh, sorry, the entire New Testament in a year's time. There's also what's called the Discipleship Journey Bible reading plan, and it breaks up uh, your Bible reading into four different groups uh, coming from four different parts of Scripture, and it gets you through the entire Bible in a year. Now, the time frame isn't necessarily important. You can take it and, and try and read each section each day, or you can and try and half, do half a section each day. And, 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 but what's most important is that you get into this word and you read the Bible every day. And so I just want to encourage you, join us as we, as we take part in this. If you're already reading your Bible every day, great job. Keep doing it. We're, we're looking into February, that moment where our resolutions begin to fade. Uh, and if you feel discouraged because you made a resolution that you've, you've given up on, next month is a new month. It's not a new year, but it's a new month and a new opportunity to take part. So would you join me in doing that? Well, uh, I'm excited because over the next uh, five or so weeks, we're going to be talking about, I think, a really a, a, a central theme of Scripture and a central focus of our existence, namely worship. It's this idea that we have, not just of worship and song, although I'm thankful for our worship and song, but this is an aspect of, of what we are to do and to be as humans, that God has called us and created us to worship. And, and so we don't struggle with worship. The question is not whether or not you and I will worship. The question is, whom are we going to worship? What are we going to worship? And, and as we're going to look at scripture, my hope is that we would have our desires and our affections, our emotions and our thoughts lifted up to worship God who alone is worthy of our devotion and our worship. You have a lot to offer, family. You have a lot to offer. You've got a lot to bring to the table. And my hope is that as we begin to look at scripture, you will take this valuable gift that you have of worship and that you will give it to the only one who's worthy of that gift, namely God himself. So today, we're gonna be in the book of Exodus. I'm gonna start towards the beginning of things. Exodus chapter three, verses one through 15. I'm gonna read, and I would encourage you to, to read along with me. Normally, we stand in the presence of the reading of scripture, so I'd ask you right now to stand by faith, uh, as a way of reverencing scripture. And if you want to read along with me, that's fine. Uh, it's great to hear the word of God spoken out of your mouth, heard in your ears. There's something about that experience that builds our faith. So read along with me. This is Exodus chapter three, verses one through 15. 
Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was, not, was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said to him, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, uh, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. God, we come to you recognizing that you are God. You are the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses. You are the God who is, who was, and who will always be. As your word says, I am who I am. That is your name. And God, as we consider what it means for us to take our lives and to devote them to something or someone worthy of it, God, I pray that we would see with, with eyes of faith, that we would see with spiritual eyes how great you are, that you are independent of creation, that you exist in and of yourself, that there's nothing outside of yourself that, that you need or that you lack, and that because of who you are, we ought to worship you, not even what you do for us, although we are thankful for that, but, but just the nature of who you are demands our devotion. God, would you make us a people who reverence, who, who honor, who respect, who value the fact that you are God? Pray this in, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, 
This is a neat story, and, and you're, you may be familiar with it because uh, the story of Moses is, is fairly well known. But if not, in Exodus chapter 1, we see that the Israelites are being oppressed. Now, at the end of, of Genesis, uh, Joseph, the son of, of Jacob, had actually become second in command in all, of, in all of Egypt, and there had been a famine. And so he was overseeing the provision of, of all the peoples in this area. And because of that, he was able to, to bring in the Israelites and bless them. And they had a great standing. Pharaoh was pleased with Joseph. Joseph was a great uh, servant. And so the Israelites were living in, in blessing. Now, generations passed after Joseph's death, and, and the Bible tells us that a new Pharaoh came who, who was not familiar with Joseph. And so he was displeased with the fact that there were so many Israelites they were, they were worried that they were going to try and take over, that the, the Israelites were going to try to take over Egypt, and so they began to oppress them. They, they set taskmasters over them, and they were oppressing them, and the people were praying to God and asking for redemption, for God to redeem them. Now, Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh. He was a, a Hebrew boy who actually was saved by the daughter of Pharaoh, and so he was raised in uh, Pharaoh's household, but as an adult, he, he saw one of his Hebrew brothers being um, oppressed by an Egyptian, and he, and he murders that Egyptian man, thinking that he's, he's bringing about God's redemption. Now, the next day, he sees two Hebrews uh, fighting one another and tries to intervene, and they, they look at him and say, are you going to murder us as well? At which point, he realizes that people know. And so he, he does what anyone would do and freaks out, and leaves town. He goes away from Egypt, Egypt and ends up in this place called Midian. There, he has, he's working as a, a shepherd. And we see that he's working as a shepherd for his father-in-law, Jethro, and he's at the, the mountain of God, Horeb, or otherwise known as Mount Sinai. This is the place where later on, we're going to find out that he receives the Ten Commandments, this, this revelation from God, he has this amazing moment of, of experiencing the presence and power of God. But here in this story, we see that it begins with a more humble uh, expression, though still an amazing moment. He comes and he's at this mountain and he sees there's a bush over here. And, and the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And, and for him to notice that, he has to, to look at it for a moment and he's looking and seeing that, that there is a fire, but but... The fire is sustaining the bush. It is not consuming the bush. It's keeping the bush sustained. It's, it's, there's something about this that, that it's, it's not being consumed. And so he goes and he, and he finds out, what's this about? And the Bible tells us in, uh, in verse uh, 4 that he turns aside. In verse, sorry, in verse 3, Moses turns aside. In verse 4, it says, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called to him out of the bush. Now, there's an angel of the Lord present in the bush. Maybe you've seen this pictured and, and you see that, that the burning bush itself is talking. I don't think that's exactly what's being pictured here. I think what's being pictured is that there's a fire and within the fire, we see an angel. Now, it's not just any angel. It, the, the Bible says um, in verse two, the angel of the Lord appeared. And then in verse four, it says this, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called him out of the bush. So in verse two, this individual in the middle of the fiery bush is called the angel of the Lord. And in verse four, he's called specifically the Lord. And what's amazing about this is this is what theologians call a Christophany. It's, it's a pre-incarnate, before Christ came in bodily flesh, pre-incarnate um, 
vision or, or interaction with Jesus Christ. And so we see that, that Moses comes and encounters the second person of the Trinity. And we know that it's, it's, it's Jesus, or we assume that it's Jesus because he is the angel of God. He's the messenger of God the Father. In other words, he is acting on the behalf of his Father. So we see that Moses is about to interact with the angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate Christ, and find out some pretty amazing things. If we go on in verse 7, we see that, uh, that the Lord, he, he charges Moses. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. And I've come to know, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. God knew what was going on in Egypt. He knew that the people of Israel were suffering. He, he heard their cries, even though in the moment they might not necessarily be aware of that fact. Family, when we cry out to God, sometimes we don't see an immediate response, but we can have faith and know that God hears us. And we're going to know that because the same God who was ministering to the Israelites is the same God who ministers to us. He charges, he charges Moses. He says in uh, verse 8 that he has a plan to redeem them. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a, a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a place of the, he goes on to talk about the people, the Canaanites, Hittites, etc. So God had made promises in Genesis to, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that he was going to bring the people into this promised land. And here we begin, God continued to move that plan forward. And so he's telling Moses, I have heard my people. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to restore them. I'm going to bring them out of the land of Egypt and bring them into the land of promise. And he commissions Moses. He says in verse 10, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, as we're thinking about, about this, it's, it's entirely possible that, that Moses knew Pharaoh that, that this was the same Pharaoh that he ran away from. And so he has a relationship. He has reason to fear Pharaoh, but, but he grew up in the same household of Pharaoh. And so it's very likely that he knows this, this individual and he's, he's thinking about what is this gonna look like? How, how can I approach Pharaoh? And, and he actually begins to argue with God. It's never good, as a side note, when you begin to argue with God. If God tells you to do something, the proper response is, yes, sir. Yes, Lord. But he, he questions and he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? The proper answer is, Moses, you're nobody, but I'm God. But God is faithful and he's patient and, and he says, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He gives them a sign that, that won't even be fulfilled until after he obeys. It'll be a sign to confirm his obedience. You know, sometimes we don't get to see uh, the, the promise or the, the answer to our prayer until we begin the process of obedience. He says, you'll see once you begin to obey. And, and they begin to have uh, more conversation. And, and so we see that in verse 12, Moses goes back and he says, but uh, I'm sorry, in verse 13, Moses says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, as we're reading this, you might think or, or hear this and say, you know, he's just asking for a name. He's just asking, uh, what am I going to tell them? How am I going to tell them? But there's more significance to what he's trying to say here. 
uh, Moses is he's asking how he should respond to the people who uh, ask who sent him. Uh, it's not just about knowing the name, but the significance of that name for their problem. Do you ever do you ever look at the promises of the Bible and ask yourself, but what does this have to do with me? That's that's the thing that he's fearing. He's fearing that when he goes to the people and says, God has sent me to you, they're going to say, what God? What, is, what does he have to do with me? Great, God has sent you. What are you going to do about it? What does the reality of this God have to do with my oppression? What does the reality of, of this God have to do with my suffering? What does the reality of this God have to do with my current situation? What do these promises have to do with me? What do these stories have to do with me? Perhaps that's what you're asking yourself. What does this have to do with me? Moses wanted to have an answer to the question, so what? So how does, how does God respond? He responds lovingly and graciously, and he, he gives two answers in verses 14 and 15. Read along with me. God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. Moses actually knew the name uh, Yahweh and in uh, if you're familiar with this text, you know that this is one of the places where, where God begins to unpack the name Yahweh. If you've grown up in a different tradition, you might have heard it as Jehovah. But it's the name that's associated with God. It's the name that he gives himself as God. It's not just God, it's, it's Yahweh. And in, in English Bibles, you know that that word is being used because you'll see in, in uppercase L-O-R-D, Lord. Or you'll see Lord God with God in uppercase, that means that it's Lord, Yahweh, and then God, uh, another word. But this word comes up a lot, and, and Moses was familiar with it, but, but now God was defining it for him. And he was saying, I am who I am. Um, and, and in fact, as best we can tell, the, the name Yahweh, is, it's attached, it's connected uh, grammatically, it's connected etymologically to the Hebrew word for I am. God tells Moses that he is the one who is, the one who, who exists eternally is sending him. But he didn't just stop there. He goes on and he says, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me. Then in verse 15, he says, God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, in other words, Yahweh, I am, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. In other words, he says, I am who I am, and I am the same God who was faithful to Abraham. I am who I am, and I am the same God who was faithful to Isaac. I am who I am, and I am the same God who was faithful to Jacob. This is the God who, who commissioned uh, and promised to bless Abraham in Matthew, or sorry, not Matthew, in Genesis chapter 12 and 15 and following. Uh, and this is the same God who promised to save uh, the people of Israel in Genesis 15, he says to Abraham, uh, the people, your descendants will go into captivity, but I will bring them out. So even in the time of Abraham, God had a plan to bring about redemption for his people. That should give hope to you and me because he had a plan for them and he has a plan for you and me. If you're in a place where you feel that you need redemption, you need to be restored, you need to experience the power of God in your life, there is hope because God has had a plan before the foundation of the world for the redemption of his people. This is I am. This is the God who, 
who was faithful. He's the same God who promised to save the people of Israel in, in Genesis 15. He's the same God who, who took the promise of Abraham and spoke it over Isaac, his son, in Genesis chapter 26. This is the same God who, who took the, the promise of, of Abraham and Isaac and then entrusted it to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, verses 13 through 15. The God who is, the God who says, I am, who exists eternally, is also the God who is for the Israelites. He is for them. He is who he is on their behalf. He is a faithful, sustaining, existent God. And he goes on in verse 15, and he says this. He says, uh, this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Family, the significance of this for you and me is that God is this God. He is I am who I am. He is Yahweh our God. He didn't stop being that God in the Old Testament. He didn't stop being that God when Jesus came on the scene. Jesus is the same God. And in fact, in the New Testament, we see, we see him saying these various I am statements and his opponents understood what he was saying when he said, before you were born, I am. Before Abraham existed, I am. Jesus was saying, I am that same God that we saw in Exodus. God is the God who is and God is the God who is for the Israelites, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God is the God who was and is and who will be. Family, in the name that, that God gives to Moses in this moment, in this, in this moment where God is trying to, to gird up uh, Moses' strength, to give him uh, strength and courage to move forward, to do a really incredible thing, to bring the people of Israel out of, of slavery, he, he gives him this name, and in this name, we can see that he is faithful to his promises. And he's faithful uniquely because, unlike all of creation, he is independent. Now, this is a language, this is language that theologians use to describe one of the attributes of God. He is independent. We can't even describe, describe positively what he is. All we can say is he's not like us. We are what? Dependent. I woke up today, do you know why? Because my heart was beating, I had been breathing air, my body was moving, and I was dependent on all of these things to happen. Earlier, uh, I, I had some food, I ate food, and I was dependent upon the food. I'm wearing clothes to keep me warm, and I'm in a building that is heated to keep me warm because if it gets too cold, I am dependent upon heat to keep me warm and alive. I am dependent upon gravity to keep me from floating away. I am a dependent uh, in so many different ways. Each of us, we depend on so many things, and that is the absolute opposite of God. He is not dependent upon anyone for anything. He finds his existence, his life, his satisfaction, all within and of himself. He is, as, as theologians say, independent. You and I, we live as creatures with beginnings and middles and ends. We have physical limitations. We have time-based limitations. We have mental and emotional limitations. We have relational limitations. But God, he is. God is in the most basic of meanings. He always has been. Before creation, God was. In, Gen in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, what? God. Before the beginning, God. God exists outside of beginnings. 
This is why he, he can be anywhere at any time because he exists outside of time. God exists outside of time and space and isn't bound by it. This is why he is omnipresent and uh, omnipotent because he, he can be present at all times because he's not bound by these things. Not only is God a God who is, he is the God who is for the sake of his people. He exists and he lives and he is faithful to his people eternally. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of Moses. And he doesn't stop being faithful to them because he doesn't change, because he always is. He's never becoming. He's never progressing. Now, the plan of God progresses. Creation progresses. You and I, we progress. But God himself never progresses. He is as good as he was at the beginning. He is as loving as he was at the beginning. And at the end, he will be as loving as he is now. And and he is as successful and powerful as he was when he said, let there be light, and there was light. This is why when we talk about the power of God in our life, when, when Paul talks about in Ephesians that the power that brought Jesus Christ back to life is the same power that works in us, it ought to bring us encouragement because God is at work. And what God is at work? The God who brought all of creation into existence and the God who defeated death, the God who doesn't change. He is the one who is at work. And when you see the word Lord in the Bible, it signifies the unique name of God and it reminds us that for those whom God has made his people, he is faithful to them. Family, if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have a relationship with God, you are connected to the God who is faithful. And just like for the Israelites, this was I am who I am for you. God is for you. Now, you may not feel like God is for you today. Maybe you're in a situation where you're struggling. Your circumstances would try to lie to you and say God is not for you. Maybe people in your life are trying to say God is not for you. Maybe, maybe your employment says God is not for you. But, but the word of God and the testimony of God says I am who I am. And that's a name that I'm gonna be called forever, generation after generation. And that means that he is who he is for you. Do you struggle to worship God? Have you been asking, what does this have to do with me? You know, as we were listening to the worship, maybe you were thinking, what does this have to do with me? How, how is God great in my world? Well, this is, this is the God who called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's the God who calls you today. This is the same God who exists, who is independent in and of himself, who invites you and me to trust him for all of life. This is the God who alone is worthy of our affections, who alone is worthy of our devotion, who alone is worthy of your life and my life because he's the only God who is independent. There's no value in you and me worshiping anything that's created because it's created. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. But God, he exists outside of those things and he invites us into relationship he is vast and great and powerful, and yet he, he condescends, he comes down to our level and he says, I want to be with you. He goes to Moses because he had heard the cries of the people of Israel. And if you've been crying out, I'm sure that God has heard your cries as well. He saves us in the same way that he saved the people of Israel by sending not the angel of the Lord, but Jesus Christ himself. Jesus put on human flesh, and he lived a perfect life that you and I should have lived, died the death on the cross that we deserve, 
defeating Satan, sin, and death and offering eternal life to anyone, eternal life to anyone who would put their faith and trust in the God who is. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the God who is, that you're, you're not just a nice guy who wants to give us nice things for a time, that you're not just a, um, a friend who wants to give us a hug, but you are, you are the forever existing, always existing, eternal creator God, that you are vast and powerful and mighty and really incomprehensible. We can't hold the bigness of who you are in our minds, and yet you come down to our level like you came down to the level with Moses and you invite us into relationship and say, I want to bring salvation. If you want to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, let me encourage you that you can put your faith in him. You can trust him. You know, the Bible says that when we, although we are sinners and we, we deserve a punishment fit for that sin, God offers eternal life and forgiveness to anyone who would trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus did it all on the cross. He took our punishment on the cross in order that we might receive his righteousness. And if you will trust him today, he can give you eternal life. He can give you relationship. He can give you all of these things so that you might experience the awesomeness of being in relationship with God. If that's you, just pray this prayer. There's nothing magical about the prayer, but it reflects what's happening in your heart. Say it with me. God, I turn away every, from everything I know to be sin, and I turn to you as my Lord and Savior, as Yahweh, as, as the God who is and who is for me. I devote my life to you and ask that you would help me to worship you alone. Pray that in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, please let us know. You can, you can text get connected to 474747. We would love to hear from you and to help you walk out uh, really what that means for your life. What's the next step for you? Thank you, family. I hope that you're encouraged. We're gonna be thinking about what it looks like for us to worship God.